welcome everybody. Hey, if you're watching live right now on Twitch, maybe you're watching on YouTube, maybe you're watching a, a, a VOD on Twitch, or maybe you're even listening on one of the various platforms that we're on. I want to welcome you. Thank you so much. My name is Boz. Um, my, my name is Boz. I'm the community care pastor here at God Squad Church, and I have the honor to be able to bring you guys the message today. If you guys have been here for the past few weeks or even the past couple of months, we've been going through a series on the book of Luke, and I've absolutely loved it. Uh, it was definitely interesting for a little while there because it was almost like we were having Christmas in July because we were going through the birth of Jesus Christ. And as we continued on, we're now going to be going into chapter three, which is essentially we're past the childhood of Jesus, we're past his birth, and we're going to be really diving into the ministry of Jesus Christ, and we're going to be starting that fairly soon. Not quite yet, but we're almost there where the ministry of Jesus essentially starts his three-year ministry here on earth and, and what that what that looks like and what he did here on earth and some of the amazing miracles that he did and things like that. It's going to be absolutely amazing, so I'm excited about that. But before we get into that, there's a couple of things that we need to go through today that we're going to go through. But before we get there, as a longtime gamer, Something that I love, love to do. I love to think about the nostalgia of games. I, I, I love going back and thinking about things. If, if people put a video game out there and it brings me back to like the early 90s of a game, I'm like, oh, I remember this moment or I remember this music. I remember when Endwalker came out for Final Fantasy. A lot of Final Fantasy IV stuff was in there and it just brought me back to my childhood, some of the music, some of the storylines that were coming up, the names of people, and it just brought me back so much to something that I loved. But what here's the thing though. When I think about all of the old video games, and maybe some of you out there do this every once in a while, it kind of brings me to this moment where I realize how gaming is today and how different it was back then. And so I start thinking about some of the games that really paved the way to what gaming is today. So for example, Super Mario Brothers, right? That game came out in the 80s, and it was really one of the first big, big, real popular games. You got Pong and things like that, but... It, you know, getting in Super Mario Brothers, this changed platformers for all time. It it did. This was the only game that you would want to play that was a platformer at the time. And the reason why was because it was that good. And then you get Super Mario Brothers 2, and it was a little bit different, but still a great platformer. And then they went back to their original recipe because they realized the original recipe was a lot better. And they got made Super Mario Brothers 3. But it really changed things forever in what platforms you see today. And you even see some of the new games coming out, even on Nintendo, like new Super Mario Brothers, really going back to what the old recipe was because it was just that good. And it paved the way for what gaming would be today. Another one would be Legend of Zelda, really paved the way for what the uh, adventure games look like today. Being able to use different items to be able to traverse different areas, being able to use a raft, being able to use a boomerang. And really the first game that was being able to do that was The Legend of Zelda. Another game that paved the way for a lot of people. Listen, whether you love this series or hate the series, the Elder Scrolls games, let me tell you guys, open world was never defined by any game other than the Elder Scrolls. Whether you played Arena, Daggerfall, Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim, whatever it might have been, this was a true experience of an open world game and it changed gaming forever to what you see. I don't care how many glitches you see in those games. There's tons of them. But the reason why is because they wanted to maximize the power of whatever they had available to them to be able to make the biggest possible game that they could. And so you really got to experience an open world experience from that game. And because of the Elder Scrolls, 
people understood what open world really meant and then we get some of our better open world games that you might see today and what you might play today and the final one that i'll touch on even though this is not my my cup of tea it may not be my, my game but i have to talk about world of warcraft okay i have to do it i know i'm a final fantasy 14 player but let's be completely honest even though world of warcraft is not the first mmo of all time it really is the staple of what most mmos are that you see today not that the formula is exactly the same. WoW does things better than a lot of people, but they also have other games that are out there where they do things that are better than WoW as well. But WoW is the most, it was the, it's the, more people have played WoW than any other MMO. And so people and developers, when they look at an MMO and the standard of an, of an MMO, they look at World of Warcraft. And then they base a lot of their game. They change the recipe. They don't do exactly the same things. But really, it changed what MMOs would look like forever because of World of Warcraft. And like I said, it's not it's not my cup of tea. I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. But we got to give credit where credit is due, right? But we could talk about hundreds of games. You could talk about Mario Kart, Gran Turismo. You could talk about Halo, Call of Duty. You could talk about even H1Z1, really the first battle royale that people were getting excited about. You could talk about so many different games and be like, this is the reason why we see gaming as it is today. This is the reason why it's important to us today or how we experience games. But before we jump to the meat of what we're going to talk about today, I want to talk about someone who prepared or paved the way in the Bible. And so first, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And it says this, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip was tetrarch in the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene. Those are some names, huh? During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth. And everyone, everyone, no matter who you are, will see the salvation of God. You see, Luke starts off chapter 3 by describing the officials in the area and the high priests at the time. We'll get into the high priest because that was a little bit of an interesting thing. But by giving an account of the leadership in this area, Luke created really the framework of the oppression that the Jews were under at this time. Uh, all of the leaders that he names here, they were known for their cruelty, their severity, their insensitivity really towards the, Dru towards the, uh, towards the Jews, and also uh, their corruption. A lot of them were corrupt officials. But then he names the high priests. Usually there's just one high priest, and there was, which was Caiaphas, but he names another person named Annas. Now, Annas was the previous high priest, and really at this time, he was the one that had all of the, all of the power still. He was the one still calling all of the shots. Caiaphas was there as the high priest. I, Annas had already, his time was up, but it didn't matter. He was still calling all of the shots. 
the fact of the matter is these high priests, the way that they spoke, the way that they did things, it showed that they were more interested in power. It showed that they were more interested in politics rather than being in, being in there to specifically serve God, which was initially what they were supposed to do. As we know from the Old Testament, the high priests were supposed to serve God and they were supposed to help others, to serve others. But they weren't doing that at this time. They were more interested in politics and power and those types of things. And so all of this, Luke does, he shows all of these things specifically to show what the start of the ministry of Jesus would look like. This is what Jesus is walking into to start his ministry. The Jews being under oppression, the officials and all of those things, all, all of the crazy, cruel things that they're doing, their corruption, the high priests are way off what they were supposed to be doing, and Jesus is about to step on the scene and do something miraculous. But I love verse 4 because it proves that something big is happening. And it comes from the book of Isaiah, and I'll read it one more time. It says, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. Isaiah is arguably one of the most important and influential books in the entire Bible. It, it, is, it is the most quoted book in the New Testament that comes from the Old Testament. And a lot of scholars believe that the New Testament could not be written today the way that it was written if it wasn't for the prophet of Isaiah because of how many things he said about the Messiah, because of how many things he said about the suffering servant from chapter 53. He does so many things here that God gave him 850 years before Jesus Christ was born. And yet he was already preaching about the Messiah. Something big is about to happen. And now John the Baptist, he arrives on the scene to prepare the way for the Lord. So first we're going to jump into what fruit do you produce? That's the first point. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a little bit strange. Let's, let's be completely honest here. I'm going to read for you guys Matthew chapter 3 verse 4. It describes John the Baptist a little bit. And it says this, Now John had camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. This is not your normal individual. Just coming out of the wilderness, as the book of Isaiah says, and this guy's eating like locusts, which is like a, gr a flying grasshopper, and he's eating honey. Now, I have eaten a locust once in my life. I was across the world. Many of you are like, that's disgusting. It actually didn't taste that bad. There were some spices on it. It was cooked, okay? It was baked. Listen, I know some of you are sitting there right now and you're like, that's absolutely disgusting. But listen, it actually wasn't that bad. But here's the fact of the matter. John the Baptist, he was a little bit strange. There was some things going on. But here's the thing. God used him, all of his oddness and everything, God still used him to make a huge impact on the entire world and to proclaim the good news that was coming. God tends to use the most unique people. He tends to use the person that you don't think that he'll use for a big impact, but he does this with John the Baptist. But the first thing that John the Baptist does is he challenges the crowd, which included not just 
Jews, not just Gentiles, included people of authority as well. So let me read for you Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. It says, He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Imagine if I got on after worship today and I sat here and I said, chat, you brood of vipers, you poison it. This is how he started his sermon. <laughs> this is how he started literally his whole John the Baptist ministry. He started it by calling people poisonous snakes. And really what he was saying was there are some of you here your hearts are so hard, and I know you're not going to change your ways. Why are you even wasting my time? Why are you even... Could you imagine if I said that when I came on today? Hey, all hail King Jesus. Why are you wasting my time? <laughs> it's not exactly... John the Baptist, like I said, a little bit strange, a little bit weird. He didn't care what he looked like. He didn't care what he ate. He didn't care what other people thought about him, and he definitely didn't care the way that he was speaking to people. Normally, when you listen to somebody, you see somebody that's nicely dressed, maybe. Maybe you see them in a, in a nice suit. John the Baptist, he comes out. He's wearing a leather garment or camel hair garment, a leather belt, eating some weird things, calling people broods of vipers. Why, why are you even here? But here's the thing, he immediately tells them what to do, and he tells them what not to do. What do you do? Produce good fruit. What do you not do? Say that you're saved because of where you came from. We're going to get into producing fruit uh, with, you know, with what that looks like consistent with repentance, but first we're going to put it in a broader perspective from what he says from verse 9. And so my first question for you today is what type of fruit are you producing? And I want you to be completely honest with yourself about this. Be completely honest about this question. What type of fruit are you producing? And this goes for every aspect of your life. This goes for in your marriage, with your family, with your mom, with your dad, siblings, cousins, uncles, aunts, in your job, with your coworkers, with your employees, uh, you know, maybe with your employer, with your boss, right? With strangers that you see, with your friends, with uh, individuals in the church, inside of your community, with people that you game. What type of fruit are you producing with these people? Is it good fruit? Is it healthy fruit? Or is it rotten and nasty fruit that you're producing? So he tells them to produce good fruit. But then he also says, don't say that you're saved or that you're okay because of where you came from. So I'll give you guys an example of something that I've done from time to time, whether it's somebody wants to volunteer at God Squad Church, maybe I'm just talking to them about something. Something that I will ask people is how long have you known Jesus Christ? Like, like when did you come to know Jesus Christ? And I kid you not, 
a lot of answers. I get this a lot and people, I ask them to explain it a little bit more, but there are people that can't explain it all that much. And I say, I say, you know, how long have you known Jesus? I've been going to church my entire life. I'm like, okay, I didn't ask you how long you've been going to church for. I asked you, how long have you been in a loving, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ where he has transformed your heart so that you are serving him? I don't care about how long you go to church. I don't even care where you go to church. Do you love Jesus? John here is saying, you cannot just say that you're okay because of where you came from. He's saying that you need to be producing good fruit. There needs to be a transformation in your heart before you can say that you have anywhere anything that has to do with salvation. And he knew the audience that he was dealing with. He was deal- talking to all sorts of people. He was talking to the Jews. He was talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to soldiers. He's talking to tax collectors. And he knew that some of these people, that they weren't just far from God, that they just didn't know him at all. He also knew that there were other people who were clean on the outside. They were praising God on the outside. They were, they were, they were, uh, you know, they, they were beating on their chests and just in showing everybody on the street corner how much they love Jesus. As they were fasting, they, they would, you know, pour ash on their heads and describe how horrible it was that they were fasting and how much in pain they were. But really their hearts didn't have any transformation that was going on. There was no repentance inside of their hearts and they were the farthest thing from God. But he also knew that there were people there that were listening, that they were interested in what he had to say. They were listening and hearing it and saying, okay, this is a little bit of a different type of teaching that we've never really had before. This is different. This is something big is coming. John was very real with them. And he told them the truth for those that don't produce good fruit as well. So I'm going to read verse nine one more time from Luke chapter three. It says the ax is already at the root of the trees, the trees being the people. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit, every person that doesn't produce good fruit, every person that, it, that doesn't do the things that God has asked them to do will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The fire he's alluding to is the fiery pit of hell that people go to if they don't accept Jesus Christ. And he's saying, if you don't change your ways, if you don't change what you're doing, This is your fate. He's very real with them. But now we're going to get into true repentance. Getting a little bit more specific about what John was talking about, not just talking about producing good fruit, but producing fruit consistent with repentance. Today, I don't believe we have a full understanding of what repentance actually means. And so just for fun, I do this a lot. I look up on Google or the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and I look up definitions of different things because I think it's fun to do. Maybe I'm a nerd. It's okay. I believe. (laughs) So anyways, it says this on Google for repentance. Feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. That's it. Feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. Feeling bad for something, right? That you did wrong. The only thing correct about this decision is that it has something to do with sin. Yes, 
I get it. If you're going to repent over something, we'll talk about what that means actually in a minute. There is going to be regret. There is going to be remorse. But that is not what true repentance is. It's not just me feeling bad about something because I did something wrong. That's what this definition is saying, but that's just not the way that it was written. So to understand what Luke actually meant or what John the Baptist meant when he was talking about repentance, we have to look at the original uh, language that it was written in, which is uh, which is the Greek language. The Greek definition of repentance means to turn one's mind away from something, to turn one mind, one's mind from saying that this is okay and turn it around and say, this is wrong. This is okay. I need to repent of my wrongdoing. I need to repent of my sin. I need to turn away from this and I need to go on a path of righteousness. It's the literal turning of your mind and understanding that something is wrong and the other way is right. That's what repentance is. So John is telling people that the only way they can flee from the coming wrath is to have a repentant heart. So now John needs to tell to, he needs to tell the people how do you treat other people? These are basic things, but Luke chapter 3 verses 10 through 14. It says, "What then should we do?" the crowds were asking him. He replied to them, "The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same." Tax collectors also came to be baptized. They asked him, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect more than what you have been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? And he said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. Be satisfied with, with what you have. These are very basic things. These are things we teach our children, right? If you have a child, you teach them to share. You teach them to give to others. You teach them to be nice to others, not to steal, not to take from other people, not to lie about other people. You teach them nice things. You teach them to share. But the thing, the fact that matter is these people, they didn't know that. And so John had to teach them. He says to the people, share with those who have need. He says to the tax collectors, don't take more than what you're supposed to take because tax collectors, what they used to do, people hated tax collectors in his time. And so what the tax collectors, they would do, if you owed two coins, they would take four. And they would take two coins, put it in their pocket and take two coins. That was what the, they were paying for the tax. They were literally stealing from the people, taking more than what they were supposed to, to give themselves more of something. The soldiers, he said, don't steal or put false things on other people's and be satisfied what you, with what you have. John was telling the people, here is what you do right now. Here's what you do right now, tax collectors. This is what you've been taught to do. Not that it was right, not that it was even the rule, but you've been taught to take more from the people because that's what you were taught to do and you thought that was okay. It's not okay. Change your mind around. Understand that this is wrong and this is right. Turn away from what you are doing and do this instead. So my question for you is where do you, where do you need to have a repentant heart in your life right now? Where is repentance needed in your life? We talked about producing good fruit, but to produce good fruit, there needs to be action that's taken in your own heart. 
I think sometimes, and this goes for myself as well, we don't always recognize where we need repentance in our lives. John had to tell them straight out where they needed to change. What, what do I need to do, John, to be, to be baptized? What, what do I need to do to have a repentant heart? Well, you need to do this. And so John the Baptist was telling them what they needed to do. But I also think something that we can do today is we can go to God and we can ask him where we need repentance in our life. The God Almighty, the one who sees everything, the one who knows you, who has, who knows the number of hairs on your head, he loves you and he wants you to come into a deeper, loving, intimate relationship with him, to have more faith in him, to grow in that relationship. And you go to him and you say, God, help me to recognize where I need to have a repentant heart. Man, he's going to let you know because he's let me know before. I thought things were good. I thought I was doing things well. And then when I asked this question, God opens up a whole new world and he's saying, look at what you're doing here. Look at where pride is coming in here. Look at where bitterness is setting in here. Did you see that this happened the other day that you said this specific thing? And I start recognizing there are so many different places in my life that I need to recognize that this is wrong and I need to go to the righteous way. Another way that I think a lot of people can recognize where they might need repentance in their lives is when other people tell you something. I do believe that God places people in your life specifically to tell you where you might be wrong. And I've had people who have been told one, two, maybe three, four, or five people come to them and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And then they give an excuse. Well, it's okay that I'm doing this because... It's getting the gospel out to more people. It's okay that I'm doing this because X, Y, and Z. It's okay that I'm... Let me tell you something. If you've heard something multiple times from multiple pe different people that God is saying, hey, you're doing this wrong, it's on you at this point. Are you actually going to make a change in your life? Are you actually going to have repentance in your heart and make that change? Because if you don't, you don't have a heart of repentance. That might be hard to hear. But I truly think that God wants us to have a repentant heart. He brings John the Baptist on the scene, and we're taking this from straight from Luke, like I said. We're going through Luke, and we're going to take things out of it. And this is specifically talking about a really hard subject of saying, hey, I'm wrong in this, and I need to do what is right. The last point we're going to touch on today is baptism. At this point, John has been saying things that no one essentially has ever heard, and they start wondering, this guy John the Baptist, who's wearing camel hair, and he's eating locusts, is this the Messiah? Like, they start asking that. And so let me read for you guys Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them, all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one is more powerful. One who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat, the good stuff, into his barn. But the shaft, the stuff that can't be used, he will burn with a fire that never goes out, alluding once again to hell. 
Then along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. John has, he, listen, he could have taken all of the credit. Pride could have gotten away. Look at John the Baptist. He's a miracle baby. Like he, like there's, there, listen, John, first of all, he's a miracle baby. There's no way that, that, you know, Elizabeth should have gotten pregnant with John the Baptist in the first place. Uh, he, he, he was a prophet. He's the cousin of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. There's a lot of stuff that pride could have gotten in the way for John the Baptist. He could have also lied, but instead he gives everything to Jesus. He gives all the credit to Jesus Christ. I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. Giving all the credit to Jesus. But I need to touch on baptism here because a lot of what John does is he he baptizes people, hence John the Baptist, right? That's what he was doing. But people being baptized by him had a different meaning for those people. Essentially, John baptizing people, it, it identified a person with their need to get right with God, to be cleansed. And uh, what it was called, it was called the baptism of repentance. That's essentially what it was, identifying a person with their need to get right with God and be cleansed. Those that were being baptized, they would change their mind on, from one thing and they would go in a different direction. It demonstrated the recognition of somebody coming and saying, I am a sinner. It, does, it showed that they had a desire to be clean as well. It showed that they desired to have a new way and, and, and to follow God's law, to follow God's law as they waited for the Messiah to come. That's what this baptism represented, the baptism of repentance, a baptism of changing of one's mind. But here's the fact of the matter. For us, it doesn't mean that. For us, a true repentant heart comes when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Savior. It doesn't have to do with an action. Hasn't. It doesn't have to do with good things that we're doing in our lives. It doesn't have to do with baptism. True repentant. A true repentant heart starts when we come into a true loving relationship with Jesus Christ. He's got to understand something. Jesus hasn't even started his ministry yet. He's just about to step on the scene. There's about to be big things that are coming. But he hasn't done those things yet. He hasn't died on the cross. He hasn't risen from the dead. But for us, those of us that are living after all of those, event happen, those events happen, we don't have the baptism of repentance. Our baptism means something completely different. So why are we baptized today? I do believe that baptism is something that God calls us all to do when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I think every single person, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I believe that God has said, you should be baptized. Why do we do it though? It's a public showing that you are completely unashamed to follow Jesus Christ. It's a symbolic showing of you being dead to your sins with Jesus Christ and being raised to new life through the power of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have a question for some of you today. Those of you that have accepted Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you a question that Jesus asked Paul when he was on the road to Damascus. Why are you delaying? If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life 
and you haven't yet made that proclamation, that public proclamation that you are unashamed to follow Jesus by being baptized, why are you delaying? Jesus tells Paul, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized. A lot of you might say, well, I've never had the opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity, not right now to be baptized, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to get baptized. Today, after first service, if you're watching first service right now, we're going to be having a class right when service ends around three o'clock Eastern time. That's when it's going to start. We're going to have a baptism class. And I'm going to talk to you guys about baptism. I'm going to teach about what baptism is, what it looks like inside of God Squad Church, why we do it. If you're watching during second sermon right now, DM me, message me, let me know if you want to be baptized. Somebody put exclamation point baptism in the chat. Click on that link, fill out that form. We want to see those who have not been baptized yet being baptized. Maybe you were baptized a long time ago and it was just something that your friends were doing, but it really had no impact. It had no meaning on your life. And you're saying, well, can I get baptized again? Hey, talk to me about it. I would love, this class touches on that. I would love to talk to you about those things. I think that baptism is one of the most important first steps that you make in your walk with Jesus Christ. I truly do. I love baptisms. I love watching them. And I love people proclaiming, getting excited that they are followers of Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, why are you delaying? You have the opportunity. But maybe there's those of you that haven't yet started that relationship with Jesus Christ. You haven't yet had that change, that repentant, that transformation heart yet. But you want to start something like that right now. You want to start that relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, baptism is for you too if you want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ into your heart right now. If you've never accepted him into your heart, let me tell you, Jesus Christ, he loves you so much more than you could ever imagine. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect and pure life, and he went to the cross for you. The pain that he suffered was for you. The spiritual pain that he suffered was for you, that he would take on all of the things that you've done wrong, all of your sin, all of your burdens, taking them onto himself, saying that you are worth it because he loves you so much more than you could ever know. And he died on a cross and rose from the dead, showing that the grave could not keep him down, that sin could not hold him back. Listen, a lot of people, they say, I don't understand because listen, there is a real heaven, there is a real hell. People that accept Jesus Christ, they do go to heaven. People that don't accept Jesus Christ, I'm gonna be real with you, they do go to hell. And people say to me all the time, why would a loving God send people to hell? I don't believe that God sends people to hell, I believe that people choose to go to hell because he has made a way for us to come to know who Jesus Christ is. If you were out in the middle of the ocean and you were drowning and somebody came out on a boat and they reached out their hand and they said, hey, I can save you. Let me pull you into the boat. And you say, no, 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 no. You're choosing to drown. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, reaching out his hand after he died and rose from the dead saying, I can save you. I don't believe God sends people to hell. I think that people choose. Listen, the reason why I do what I do the reason why I, I preach 
the reason why I talk to you guys, the reason why I meet with people is I want to see as many people as I can come to know who Jesus Christ is, to have that fulfillment in their life. We want to make heaven crowded, something that irks man always has. And he's actually going to be at the baptism class today. Something that he always has in his, in his status. Let's make heaven crowded. Expanding the kingdom because more people are being saved. And so, hey, if you want to make that decision right now, you want to accept Jesus Christ into your life, I want to give you that opportunity. And all that I would ask you to do is repeat this prayer after me. Let's pray. Dear God, I come before you right now. I believe in your son, Jesus, and I believe that he rose from the dead. And God, right now, I receive your mercy, your grace, and your salvation. I commit my life to you. And Jesus, I ask you right now to come live inside of me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.